This podcast is brought to you by Anchor. Anchor is a free app that allows you to record audio, allow your audience to send in questions for you to answer, import audio from Spotify, use preset music or preset sounds to create the podcast episodes that you would like to tell. Welcome to Let's Talk About, the show where I ramble about just whatever I want. This episode, I will be talking about writing. So my writing journey kind of starts from a very young age, really. Um, I was five years old. I, maybe four, I was really heavily into coming up with my own ideas for concepts, my own ideas for shows. Um, I came up with a show about a, like a superhero type character, which completely unoriginal name superhero. Like, <laughs> um, yeah, it's just it was a really fun show, and it was kind of inspired by Doctor Who subconsciously, because the character like regenerates at the end of each particular incarnation. And really, I hadn't watched Doctor Who and I had no concept of Doctor Who at that point. But it was just something that I thought was so original, um, but really wasn't. Um, and like, I then kind of went on to come up with stuff about cars that could talk, but it's more of an action superhero sci-fi thing. Um, yeah, I remember when Cars was first released, I genuinely thought that that Pixar had, like, spied on me and hacked into my computer, which I know now is ridiculous, but I was, like, nine years old at the time, I think I was, whenever Cars released. Um, then, over time, I just wrote more stories, wrote plots for stories that never really went anywhere. I wrote a whole book, which, you know, in hindsight, wasn't very good, but it was, like, a 300-page novel, um, I spent about a year of my life whittling away at that. But all the plots were really messy. I wanted to do too much in a short space of time. Um, then I went to university in 2015 um, for three years. Did the degree in creative and professional writing, which was basically learning how to make a living from your writing. Um, that was the kind of the professional writing side of things. But the creative writing side of things was learning how to write. Um and now I'm doing a master's in creative writing, which is very much the business of writing, how to make a living writing, but also how to really master your craft, hence why it's a master's. So what is a story? You know, I've already talked about my writing journey somewhat from when I was young to now. And really, I want to, before I really get into the meat of this podcast, I want to very quickly and briefly talk about what a story is. You see, a story is something that starts from point A and ends at point B. There are loads of different things in between that kind of take the, the main character, whether they're a protagonist, the good guy, an antagonist, the bad guy, or in between, the anti-hero. Um, and really... 
shakes them up before arriving at point B. Um, there are other there are theories that kind of fall in. So you've got the hero's journey, which you know if you Google it, you you can read all about. Um, but in a nutshell, it's really this whole idea of going from point A to point B. The main character, we'll say the hero, starts his journey. He's in a particular place in his life. He meets someone who gives them the, his task, but he rejects it. Further down the line, he meets them again, or he meets someone else who calls them to the same task. Something happens to make the hero accept it. The hero accepts it, goes on his journey, comes across several obstacles before reaching a crisis point. When they reach the crisis point, the story resolves. Something happens to make the the whole plot come full circle and then they're in a brand new place or they're in the same place as they were at the end of the film. Great example is Forrest Gump. The beginning of Forrest Gump's journey, he cannot walk, he is uneducated, he can't speak. His mother calls him on a journey to get boots, to go to school, stuff like that. He doesn't necessarily reject it at first, but he does accept it eventually. Um, from then, he, he gets his boots so he can learn how to walk. He goes to a special school. Um, from there, a series of events happens in his life. He, can, he keeps on being separated and reuniting with his childhood love, Jenny. He goes to college uh, on a scholarship because his running skills are noticed because he, he eventually learns how to run and can run surprisingly fast. From graduating college, he goes on to the army. From going on to the army, he meets Lieutenant Dan. Saves Lieutenant Dan's life. Lieutenant Dan goes on to hate him, but they keep reuniting at various points. Lieutenant Dan tells him that if he becomes a seabird captain in memory of his friend Bubba, who was also in the army and was killed in Vietnam, um, then Lieutenant Dan will become his first mate, Forrest Gump's first mate. Forrest Gump becomes a seabird captain, Lieutenant Dan becomes his first mate. From there, Forrest becomes a millionaire, then gets a letter from Jenny to come to this particular city. He goes to the city, which is where the story actually begins, um, because most of it is told in, in flashback, um, and it's Forrest's narrative while sitting on a bench, talking to multiple people. From there, Forrest learns that the the place he needs to go to is only a few blocks away. He unites, reunites with Jenny, discovers he's got a son from Jenny, through Jenny. Jenny confesses that she's got an illness, a viral illness. They get married. She later dies. The film ends with Forrest lamenting her death. Like, that is the hero's journey in a nutshell. Extend, extended, expanded, with maybe a few steps missing, but the whole idea is there. You've got the beginning, the call to action, which is through Forrest's mother. You've got all of the plot, progressive plot elements. And then you've got your ending, which is Forrest is a widow. And he's got a son. But that story has gone from A to B. So yeah, I'd really recommend checking out The Hero's Journey. Seven Basic Plots is another one with this idea that there are only seven plots 
and that all stories are based on one of these seven plots. Um, I can't remember exactly what they are, but really just, yeah, look at them. Um, they're, they're really interesting, and if you want to write, they are essential to read as a writer. Setting, plot, and characterization are all crucial elements of the writing process. For those who don't know, and hopefully it is fairly obvious what each thing is, setting is your location. So say, Toy Story, the main setting is Andy's house. The plotting is the story from the beginning to the end. So in Toy Story... The story begins in Andy's room, where the toys are being played with by Andy, they are loved. Andy gets a toy called Buzz Lightyear. Woody feels jealous. Woody gets separated from the gang. The toys go to find him. Woody gets saved after being in a bully called Sid's house with his deformed monstrosities of toys. They escape. They go back to Andy's house. Woody finishes his story by accepting Buzz into the, basically, the crew of toys. And characterization are the characters, how they interact, their emotions, their thoughts, everything about them. Like, for example, Woody is a very complex character, actually, when you really think about it. He's a toy that has known really one boy for most of his time, his life. Um, and he's really comfortable in his world of being the popular one. Then suddenly this, this new, really flashy, expensive toy, Buzz Lightyear, joins. And it's like his world is completely flipped upside down. And actually he deals with a lot of jealousy, a lot of anger. Uh, yeah, he's a very, very complex character um, and his basic need and his basic desire is to be loved by others and to be loved by, by the boy that, that he cares about the most. Now, if you don't have one of them setting, characterization, or plot, you can't have a story. If you don't have a setting, where are you going to base your characters and where, you, where is the plot going to unfold? If you don't have characters, who's in the setting? You know, arguably, you can make the setting more like the characters. You can personify the location. You can take inanimate objects and, and animate them and, and, again, personify them and really bring them to life. But it's, it's a lot more difficult to do so without characters. If you don't have a plot, you just don't have a story from A to B. You just have setting and characters. It's really, really important to... Really make your audience connect with the setting and the characters and the plot. Really care about them. You know, if Woody didn't have that emotional attachment to Andy and vice versa, that we see and are established in the early moments of Toy Story, um, really in the first act, um, then we wouldn't care about his plight, his, his conflict, his inner conflict, his outer conflict. We wouldn't care about all of that. Because we wouldn't relate to Woody. We wouldn't relate to Andy if he didn't love his toys. We wouldn't relate to Sid if we didn't know the bullies. So on. Um, yeah, you really need to 
get a sense of what your characters are like. You really need a sense of your setting and how your characters interact with each other in that setting. So Andy's house in Toy Story. If we really didn't have a concrete idea of, of how big it was, what's inside it, Andy's even family dynamic, like when he, the whole idea of Andy and his family coming into the room and the toys just becoming inanimate and lifeless whenever they are, genuinely we wouldn't films like Toy Story wouldn't be worth watching, like the audience wouldn't enjoy it. Even Shrek, like, as another example, you know, it's another kid's film, but actually it's another classic film that all ages can enjoy. Um, Shrek 2. Shrek and Fiona are married. They get a, an invitation from Fiona's parents to come to Far, Far Away. They go to Far, Far Away. Fairy Godmother steps in. She doesn't like the fact that Shrek is married to Fiona. She's married an ogre. Prince Charming hates it as well. Everyone hates it, but the fairy godmother and Prince Charming are the ones who try and sabotage Shrek and Fiona's dreams. If we didn't care about Shrek and Fiona, then we wouldn't want Shrek to win. We'd want, we yeah, we wouldn't care if, if Prince Charming kissed Fiona at, at the ball. Like, generally, all these elements all come together and really contribute to a, a greater sense of an of great storytelling and great characterization plotting and setting make your setting stand out make your characters stand out make your plot stand out no plot is going to be unique no characters are going to be unique no setting will be completely unique but you've got to learn to be able to take it the established norms and flip it on its head and bring new perspectives to classic concepts and classic ideas. For example, Toy Story, the making toys come to life whenever no, the humans aren't around, making them not life, making them lifeless whenever the humans are around, takes the already established real life concept of toys and flips it on its head, brings a completely new concept. So yeah, that's the best advice I could give for really making compelling narratives and characters and settings. Another thing that we learned at uni that is really essential to all storytelling and all forms of storytelling is pacing. Now, pacing is basically how quick you tell your story, how fast. You've got stories that are told incredibly quickly. A lot is crammed in in a short space of time. You've got your stories that are told slowly, which not much is crammed in in a lot of time or a lot is crammed in in way too much time. Um, and you've got your middle of the road pacing, which is just the perfect amount of time, the perfect amount of storytelling. I think a really, really, really fast piece of storytelling, really bad pacing is The Rise of Skywalker, the new Star Wars film. Because it's literally one thing after the other. There's no let up. There's no time for rest. It's literally just bang, 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 bang. Like, yeah, it's just too much happens in two and a half hours. They should have made it three and a half hours. Or split it into two films. Have it episode nine and ten. Because, really, the bulk of the action, fighting Palpatine, 
takes place in like half an hour. The lead up takes place over two hours. But again, a lot happens. Like you've got Chewie's apparent death and survival, which take place within one scene of each other. Um, you've got C-3PO's memory loss and restoration of memory. You've got Leia's death. You've got Kylo Ren's redemption arc. You've got just everything. Like, it's, yeah, there's too much happening. You've got post love interest. I think, on the other hand, a plot that's really slowly paced is Titanic. And I understand it's a classic film, but I can't watch it without being bored out of my skin. I've never finished that film. I watched it maybe once or twice. But, like, it's a three-hour film to tell the story of the tragedy of the Titanic. And, like, of course, it's a tragedy. You know, it will always be remembered it's a tragedy. Always respect the lives of those lost. But they could have made it more action-packed. I get that it's a romance film, and romance films are supposed to be slow. But... Yeah, it's a disaster film as well. There should have been more happening in a short space of time. And the love interest between Rose and Jack could still have been there. A lot of the classic scenes like Jack holding Rose and her saying, hold me, Jack, could have been there. All sorts. Like, yeah, I just feel like those two films, the pacing could have been either slowed down or sped up significantly. And this... It would be better storytelling. A film that I think is perfectly paced is Avengers Endgame. Like, that's three hours. But not a moment goes by when where you don't want it to speed up. And not a moment goes by where you want more to happen. Like, the final fight scene, which is an hour, is, you know, really something... You've got the resolve of storylines of the first 11 years of the MCU. You've got your big fight scenes that are classic for Marvel movies. Like, it's just so much about it. It's perfect. Like, I think it should have won an Oscar. I know a lot of people don't. But really, the storytelling was, was phenomenal. Plus the fact that with Infinity War, it's a six-hour movie. Just about. Like... That is one massive feat of storytelling and not a moment goes by either in Endgame or in Infinity War where I didn't want the plot to speed up or slow down, which is a testament to the storytelling of the the Avengers writers, but also just how much of a good plot it is. There's a great technique that many writers use. Um, they used a lot in filmmaking it's used a lot in fictional writing, prose, poetry, literally it's used all the time, called show not tell. Now, this is going to be a very new phrase for a lot of people, but it's something that's literally been around for, for centuries, decades, um, more so in recent years than days gone by. Show not tell is a device that writers use to suggest something that is happening to the audience at a given moment in a narrative um, without telling the audience what is happening. A great example of this is in Scooby-Doo and other 
kind of crime dramas and, and light-hearted family shows where the protagonist, let's go with Scooby-Doo, let's say the Mystery Inc. gang, they are on the trail of uh, a wax figurine that's come to life. Now, they will get the clues, they will gather up the witnesses, all that sort of stuff. Um, but there will be stuff that they may see, they may not necessarily see, that will suggest suggest a particular character is the villain, the protagonist. And it doesn't have to be just this. It can be literally anything. It could be um, to do with character development. It could be to do with setting. It could be to do with um, all sorts. But in this particular instance, um, something suggests to the audience that it is... Jon Snow, I know that's a character from Game of Thrones, but, you know, um, let's say Jon Snow is the bad guy in Scooby-Doo. Now, it comes to the end of the show, and they unmask the wax figurine, and it's Jon Snow. How did you figure it out? Well, go back five minutes, ten minutes, and you'll find that there was a piece of wax left behind on the floor by Jon Snow when he walked away. That show not tell. Like, Velma doesn't have to go, Jinkies gang, there's a piece of wax left behind by Jon Snow. Obviously she said it at the end because it's how the, the criminal is caught, but for the audience in the here and now, they are shown that there is a vital piece of of storytelling in that scene. Another good example of show not tell is actually Game of Thrones. Um, the goof of the Starbucks Cup uh, in season eight. It's a massive blunder, but it's show not tell. It shows the audience watching that actually the crew had no idea what they were doing. Whether intentional or unintentional, show not tell is prevalent and is completely sown throughout every piece of storytelling. Some do it better than others. The really cheesy spoof films like Sharknado and other various films do show not tell a bit less because they rely heavily on telling the audience what's happening and rely very heavily on being stupid films just to get laughs from the audience. And in that case, it works because that's kind of the general attitude they're going for and the general theme they're going for but generally show not tell is a really good device to use when creating a story that can really connect with the audience and can really bring them to try and work out what's happening without holding their hand all the way to the end from the beginning of the story and the narrative So now we come on to the questions and answers portion of the show. Now, in the previous episode, I asked you to send me in questions about writing. And, you know, it's the start of the show. It's the start of the podcast. It's, it's, it's a baby, really, in its, in its life. 
um, in the story of the podcast. See what I did there? Um, <laughs> uh, wow, that's going out. Okay. Um, yeah, basically, um, I got a few questions in. Didn't expect too many. Um, both from a guy called Nathan. And um, really, the first one was, what style genre mediums do I find easiest to write in and what are my favourite and why? And, you know, I looking at that question and I, I'm taking it and I'm split it into two. And, you know, the first one is favourite, second one is why. Three sub-questions of medium, genre, style. Um, favourite medium is probably prose, I'd say. Um, just because I do love a great story. I love plot twists. I love writing and developing plots that twist and turn things on their head. Like some of the best books I've written have the most incredible twists. Some of the best games I've written with the best narratives have the most incredible twists. Spoiler alert, if you play Kingdom Hearts, you know, I bang on about Kingdom Hearts way too much to my friends. But spoiler alert, Kingdom Hearts 3... Zigbaro's Lushu, like, it was such a mad plot twist, but it was so well set up, and it's been established since, like, 2012, I think, that this particular character is, Zigbar is a character that was introduced only a couple years ago into the the wider world of Kingdom Hearts. Um, Favourite genre is probably crime to write in. Favourite genre to read is either crime or fantasy, just because I just love that idea of, like, the Final Fantasy-type characters um, banding together to try and save the world from an unspeakable evil. I love the idea of detectives trying to, you know, um, really find the criminal and, and stop the criminal before he commits any more crimes. And also, the styles. Um... My favourite style to write in is short form. So long form being novels, short form being like short stories. Um, you know, that's short form prose. Short form poetry would be like five lines, like short poems. I love short, short stuff because admittedly, sometimes I find it hard to pace. Um, I either get ideas that are massive, but I can't, write the amount of words or I get ideas that are too small and short stories work perfectly for for it if I can draw it out long enough but my pacing can sometimes be so awful I'm not afraid to admit that that's something I'm working on as a writer um that's kind of my favorite to to write in my favorite to read is yeah more long form where characters intertwine with other characters and and plots cross over and Questions are being asked and answers are not being found. Uh, the second question sent in by Nathan. Do all my characters take inspiration from real life or are some completely thought up from imagination? Now that is an incredible question, a brilliant question. I think some of my characters do take inspiration from real life. Like a lot of the poetry that I write, I mean none of which is yet published, but a lot of the poetry I write is inspired by real life stuff. My personal, you know, struggles in the past, my friends' personal struggles in the past. Um, in terms of my, my prose, 
I think that's more on the verge of being imagined rather than being inspired by real life. Although I do like taking things and people I know who are more eccentric, sticking them in my prose. I love it. Like, they don't necessarily know it's them and you're not trying to discredit anyone or spread any false rumours about them by putting a fictionalised version of them or a character inspired by them in your uh, pieces. I love it. So yeah, that's kind of the answer to those two questions. Next time I will be talking about music. I will be talking about my five favourite albums, my five least favourite albums, as well as my favourite singles from the year so far and my favourite tracks from the past decade. If you want to send me any questions about music at all, my Instagram and Twitter accounts handles are at Matthew Whisker. Feel free to follow me. Feel free to send me a message. Uh, And yeah, I'll, I'll... filter out questions depending on how many I get in, how many I receive, and I will answer what I can, and as long as this podcast doesn't go on for too long, because it's a massive topic, and there's a lot to cover in a short space of time. But by all means, absolutely feel free to message me, feel free to drop me a questions, drop me a shout out, screenshot this this um, podcast, Share it on your stories and just, yeah, really want to get the ball rolling now in terms of the listener count being increased. And I really want to get the ball rolling in terms of getting more exposure to this podcast. So, yeah, next time, music. Thank you for listening to my podcast. If you'd like to donate towards the production of this show, and the production of future shows, I have a Patreon account, www.patreon.com forward slash Matthew Whisker. That is Matthew with two T's and Whisker, W-H-I-S-K-E-R. There are different levels of pledges on there. I have material that can be sent out if you pledge £5 a month or $5 a month um, or more. And yeah, just all of this will go towards the creation of future podcasts. It will allow me to get guests on podcasts. It will allow me to just, yeah, launch a whole wide range of stuff that I've got planned for this year and beyond.